1: Thanks for joining us for another week of Take Two. This is Heidi Hatch with KUTV 2 News. The usuals are off gallivanting this week. Greg Hughes, I don't know, probably in southern Utah. Mara Carabello's out. But there was big political news this week, so we could not let the week go by without talking about Senator Romney announcing finally that he's not running. So with us today is Kelsey Berg. She is former deputy chief of staff for, I think, almost five years for Senator Romney. Also ran his campaign. Thanks so much for being with us today. Happy to be here. Hopefully I can make up for having two of your guests Oh, you're like three. We don't even need them today. So this is fun because you have interesting insight that I don't think any of the rest of us get to see, uh, running campaigns, working in the offices. I think there's a lot of interesting work that goes on um, inside of our congressional offices that a lot of times we just don't see. So thanks for being willing to do this. You um, left Senator Romney's office. We're going to start with most recent, and we'll talk a little bit about what you've done in May of this year. Why did you make the change? Just I had an opportunity to come back to the state
0: um, and work for a a fantastic company here. And it just kind of felt right. Um, I had no idea what his decision was going to be. I viewed it as potentially 50-50, but just kind of an offer came and felt like the time to do something different.
1: Because you were one of the reasons why everybody was talking when you left. They're like, okay, is this a signal? Is it not? Everything's been a signal in the last year. Is he running? Is he not? And a lot of people when you left were like, "Oh." He's not running. He can't do it without her. Uh, But for you, it wasn't because you knew that that was it. Nope. It was a super hard decision, um, but just
0: one that felt right. And I'd done a decade in politics and being on the the government side. uh, And so it just kind of felt like the right opportunity to, to jump to do something different.
1: You have done a ton. And for people who don't know you, because sometimes people don't know who's working behind the scenes, you were on the forty under forty list in Utah County, but when you were on that forty under forty list, you were I think thirty two last year. So you've accomplished a lot since you graduated uh, from BYU. Tell me what your first gig was out of college that you started working on. Was it political? It was. So through uh, when I was at BYU, I did a couple of internships uh, up on the
0: Hill here in Utah, and then um, as soon as I graduated from BYU, I went back to DC and worked for Congressman Chaffetz uh, for a couple of years. So and you caught the bug. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. When I picked political science at BYU, I had no clue where that would lead. And I just have been super blessed and, and got lucky and, and done a mix of things. Um, I worked uh, was a staff lead for Congressman Chavez to become oversight chair um, and then worked on natural resources issues here in the state for a while. And, and then, yeah, I just kind of got lucky. And, and he's the one who pitched my name to the Romney camp in 2018. And it's
1: been a crazy ride ever since. History after that. So when you go back and think about... What made you excited about being on Capitol Hill? Because I think it's either for you or it's not, if you're in that world. What made you love it and want to be a part of it?
0: Um, For me, it's the relationships. I love getting to know people um, and knowing kind of what makes them tick. And also, I'm, crazy enough, I'm a policy wonk. I'm not necessarily like on the research side, but I love talking good policy and trying to make a difference. And so being able to do things, particularly on a state level where you do impact people's lives, and then... I was lucky enough with Senator Romney to work on specifically Utah issues and, and kind of dig down and, and have those kind of intellectual debates, right? And and one of the things that I loved and, and learned uh, very much from Senator Romney was to play devil's advocate um, and so to, to come to good conclusions. And so being with him and he always wanted – I mean, it's funny – you never quite knew where he stood on an issue. And sometimes I had to tell constituent groups after, like, no, he doesn't really think that. He just wanted to, to have the discussion, right? And yeah. So, so they'd leave saying, oh, he's on one side of the issue. I'm like, well, he's really not, but he just wanted to, to go through that. I said, if someone would have come in on the other side, he'd argue your side of the position. But just trying to get him because he wants that intellectual stimulation and to get and dial down to good policy. And that's, quite frankly, what drives me is,
1: is good policy. I love talking good policy. I love talking good issues. We do that here on the podcast. But I think a lot of what people see in politics these days is the surface kind of backbiting, not necessarily the policies. Uh, When you look just on the surface, and I look at Congressman Chaffetz, who you work for, and Senator Romney, they seem sort of, at least in the Republican realm, maybe polar opposites in who you were working for. Was it, did it feel like polar opposites working for them? Or is that just what people see and people think? You know, they both like good policy. They both want to be data-driven, um,
0: and Jason wanted, worked really hard on, on efficiency, right? Being an oversight chair, mm-hmm. he wanted government to be efficient, and that's what, I mean, Senator Romney, he's the turnaround guru, right? He wanted to be government to be efficient. Um, and so they might have different styles in the way they go about that, um, but both of them love to get down in the details. You know, when you work for a member of Congress, there seems to be offices – that are either staff driven or staff continually brings ideas to the member to push, or those that are member driven. And Senator Romney and Congressman Chavitz were both people that were member driven, right? They both knew what they wanted to accomplish. They both were the ones that would lead out on the issues and come to staff and say, "Hey, I want to fix this. I want to get that," which helps because then they dig down in the issues. Um, and I saw both of them uh, work with their their colleagues and be sitting at tables, doing page turns, getting down in the in the uh, weeds on policy. Um, and legislation, and, and so it, they might have different styles in the way they come about it, but they're both very serious when it comes to policy and, and fixing
1: problems. Um. So you were uh, tasked, they called you up, it sounds like, to work on Senator Romney's campaign. I have been covering him since the 2002 Winter Olympics, which is, he had an interesting stardom that came with that. I remember right after the Olympics going over to my mom's house, and she had a picket, not a Pickett, a picture in her Olympic coat because she was one of the many volunteers here in the state like so many others uh, with Romney at the time who was heading up the Olympics and I think people were just excited to meet him, be with him and be a part of the excitement which was interesting because when you think about it, it was a weird way to turn into a Utah rock star and yet he was. And then when people got used to him and loved him here, he left, went to Massachusetts, uh, ran for president unsuccessfully, then decides to run for Senate. When you were asked if you would do that, were you worried that this might be an unsuccessful run, or did you feel like, this is it, we can make it happen, no problem? Well,
0: I've learned, I mean, you never count him out, right? I mean, he's just... He's amazing. So we knew that I had no doubt that he would lose. I was a total fangirl before, still am. I remember staying up till midnight to watch when the mid-documentary came out on Netflix. Um, and it was amazing because when we were on the campaign trail to the point of your mom, we'd have people come out all the time with their Olympic paraphernalia, right? And it was super fun to see that. And I think for him too, um, I think coming back, obviously him and uh, Anne went to BYU here mm-hmm. um, and felt some of that. But I think for him, uh, the Olympics was kind of a homecoming. And for all of us, he saved the the Utah um, reputation, right? Because we'd had all this, and I don't know of any other Olympics where the CEO was known so well, right? And so people rallied around him um, and through to have him come and, and see that, it's funny as I would walk into to restaurants or to buildings or whatever, to see people do a double take and to see people get excited because I think he represents what we all want to be and and the best of of everyone particularly as utahns uh and so it was it was fun to see that and i had zero doubt that he would ever lose um and even if he decided would have decided to run again uh for re-election next year he would have won i have no doubt about that
1: even though he had that superstar quality you mentioned the documentary and i remember covering him through his whole uh presidential run and I remember one of the biggest criticisms of him was that he never seemed like he was being real mitt like he was saying what people told him to say or what had been researched or what they'd been talking about in the spin room it never felt like the humanness kind of broke through and finally when that documentary came out you saw him trying to iron or steam his clothes while he still had it on I think he had a tux on or something people were like that's what we wanted to see that's what was missing this little electricity that wasn't there did he learn from that? I think so. Uh, That's what we tried to
0: do uh, in 2018 was just kind of let Mitt be Mitt, was kind of the phrase we talk about. Um, And I remember you came to our election night party where we uh, debuted his I've Been Everywhere Man video. Yeah. Um, And that was a total his idea thing. He had pitched that uh, a few months before. And so uh, there were some um, folks that I think that had some probably PTSD, right? I mean, there's some videos that that. videos out there from his presidential campaign of of him singing and he loves to sing but he knows he uh, might not necessarily be you know Motab quality Um, (laughs) but it was fun and he was excited about that and so him and I actually kind of worked on that behind the scenes and then recorded it and rolled it out and we kind of went to the senior team and said hey here's this and he said we're going to put it out and and so I think it's a mix because when you have someone that of that caliber you do kind of want to protect them. And so I think that was part of, um, I mean, I wasn't a part of 2012, but I can just imagine that that's part of it. You want to insulate them, right? You want people to, to see the, the high quality of of people they are. Um, and there were a few things I think in 2012 that when you're kind of squeaky clean, it's hard for people to find, everyone likes the scandal. Binders of women. Yeah. You see that now, right? Like little, I mean, things that now would be ridiculous to, to, um, highlight and make fun of. And so I think when you have small things like that, that create a, a ruckus, then you worry about bigger things. If you're like, if that can, can cause such a stir, then what about if there's you know, something that actually happens? And, and we don't expect our politicians to be human as much as we say we want them to be. And so it's hard to find that right balance uh,
1: on a campaign. He won uh, overwhelmingly during the election, but since then his numbers haven't always proven to be the best for him. If you're looking at polls, and it depends on who's doing the poll and who's doing the questioning, but uh, his popularity has somewhat waned uh, since President Trump uh, became President Trump. He had that speech that he made up on the Hinkley stage up at the University of Utah, um, and I think a lot of people remember that. Do you think that it shaped a lot of what he did because he had to keep speaking out against Trump, or was it just who he was, and it was just going to happen naturally anyways?
0: I mean, I think it's a lot about who... I mean, that's who he was anyway. He's, I mean, the him doing the speech at the University of Utah was no... I mean, he was a regular citizen at that point, yeah. right? There was no benefit to him, um, and I think he feels compelled to call that out, and I think this is a conversation I had a lot with folks is he feels more compelled to call out his own side than he does the other side, right? I'd have people that would call me all the time and say, why doesn't he call the Democrats? It's like, well, he does, but he feels more compelled to keep his own team in line than the other side. Of course he doesn't agree with the other side. That's why he's not a Democrat, Um they're just, you expect that they would do things that he would disagree with. And so that was always the hard part. And I um, am I guess bummed that that overshadowed it so much because as well, that was more sensational, right? I mean, again, he expects to disagree with the Democrats. So whenever he would say something to disagree with President Biden, that doesn't get the headline because it's not newsy, right? But if he calls out someone on his own side... That's newsy, and that unfortunately shaped a lot of what people think about him, even though you talk on policy, and and it came up a lot Uh, the last couple years. He voted more, I guess you can say, with President Trump or on conservative things than anyone else in the delegation. Um, And you look at at actual policy, and they're they're right there. And and, uh, he kept his promise to work with the president on policy they agreed upon. Uh, COVID kind of took a lot of the limelight. But on vaping, um, before COVID, that was a big topic, and and he went to the White House and worked with President uh, Trump to – on issues like that, and so I think that's the hard part is is you know, well being a media, no one actually reads the story; they just see the headline, and so that's I think what have sh- what's shaped a lot of people's opinions. When it yeah. comes to but
1: Trump. And I think those headlines, a lot of people base what they think of a senator, good or bad. Um, I sat down, I'm trying to think it's probably been two years ago with both Senator Romney and Lee at the same time. And I was excited to do that because I think that they seem like very stark and contrasting people. And I think on some issues they are. But when you looked up at their voting records, whether it was 85 percent, 90 percent, Largely, they voted the exact same way, but what made headlines was that, you know, 10% where they differed from their party and voted against them. And that's really what made the headlines, which I thought was interesting, and I loved sitting down with them and actually hearing them answer the same questions at the same time. Um, Obviously, different viewpoints, but it was probably the best, I guess, gut-wise, listening to our politicians sometimes, that you could really feel uh, where they were on an issue, maybe where they differed, but it didn't seem drastic to me.
0: Yeah, and it wasn't. A lot of things that took a lot of people's attention um, were the issues that Senator you voted on in a position that he felt was him personally, right? Not necessarily representing his constituents. It was oaths that he took as someone in that current role, right? You can talk about the impeachments. You can talk about you know Supreme Court or whatever that is. There are certain things where he felt it was a different position of, and it's not policy, I'm not voting on this, this is, you know, me and myself, and I'm the one that has to to answer for this, and go based on my view, not necessarily what what my constituents think, and there's different, there's different votes for that, there's different, you know, ways to do that, but that's, um, those are the ones that he
1: took the most heat on, of course. Were you surprised um, how long it took him to make a decision of whether or not he would run again? No, because I think he, he loves the stimulation, like
0: I said, he loves being able to talk about good policy, he likes the to be able to, to work on that and work towards that and he wants he has a the DNA to to be helpful and to try and, and make things better for uh, for the state and the country and and I think he wanted to wait and see where things were going um, as he's pointed out a good number particularly on the Republican side of the folks of their bipartisan group uh, were retired and so he wanted to see okay is there a critical mass of folks so we can still get stuff done um, and to kind of give this Congress and this um, group of senators and and House members a chance to see where they could go. I mean, it's interesting. You think, way back at the beginning of the year, this was supposed to be the year of workforce reform, right, or immigration reform because the labor market was so pinched. I mean, it didn't matter whether it was ag or trucking or manufacturing or healthcare, right? Everyone had had labor issues, and so that was supposed to be the big thing they were going to tackle. And now here you are nine months into the year after August recess and there's nothing happening, right, on policy or anything else. I mean, we're, you know, they're arguing about impeachment and we'll have a budget again and we'll potentially have a shutdown. There's no real policy discussions going on or movements, which I think to him has said, okay, it's time for someone else.
1: That is frustrating. We talk about that on the podcast all the time that when people run, they always talk about immigration, but there's always another election, it seems. And so somehow it doesn't happen, but it seems like one of those issues that both sides agree that something needs to happen Mm -hmm. and then it it never does. Uh, Romney, when he made his announcement, um, mentioned his age and said it was time for another generation I think there's always reasons you give people publicly, and there's probably about six more reasons why you decide not to run. There's been a lot of talk with Mitch McConnell of late, um, Dianne Feinstein, President Biden, age being an issue. Is that an easy way for him to say, you know, I'm stepping out because there's so much conversation around that? Or do you really think that's, you know, a large reason why he's decided not to run? I think it's a large reason, and particularly talking about
0: the younger generation. Uh, when he spoke at the Hinckley Institute a couple weeks ago with Southern Institute, someone asked him about AI, and he joked about how he barely knows how to use his iPhone, let alone dealing with artificial intelligence. And so, I think there are a number of issues that he just feels that maybe the Senate as a whole, right, is poorly equipped to, to deal with. I do think um, that he's <laughs> he's very uh, aware of his mortality. Um, and I think that's one thing that McKay Cobbins talked about in the Atlantic article. And so I think that's a part of it is, is he wants to be able to have his, whatever many years he has left, uh, be productive and useful. And, and he, he's, but on the flip side of that too, I think even if you didn't see the issues with Senator McConnell or some of these other things in such a broad conversation about age, I still think he probably would have made the decision because he's definitely one to say, I'm not there just for the sake of being there. Right. I mean he ran he was a one term governor of Massachusetts, not because he probably couldn't win again, but because he'd got everything done that he'd said he was gonna accomplish. Um, and I think having that in a, you know, elected official is something that we lose is that there's so many that go in not necessarily with goals to be able to know when it's time to, to be done, but um, that they just go and then you kinda get oh, well, there's always one more. There's always one more. Yeah. So I think it's a mix of he wants to be productive and he can he doesn't need to just be in office just to be in office.
1: It sounds like he was tempted, though, in that McKay-Coppins article. There was a lot of surprises in there to me. I'm not surprised that he thought about the possibility of running for president still. I think there's a lot of people who even a couple weeks ago were thinking, you know, maybe he'd go with no labels and he'd, you know, try a run with someone from the other side of the aisle, mansion or somebody. Um, Did he talk about that ever, that maybe he would want to run for president, or was that something he talked about not in the office? It wasn't part of what you guys discussed.
0: Well, we'd always joke about it because people would always ask. Yeah, um, but I mean, obviously, he want he obviously wanted to be president, right? And probably still would would want to be president, um, but more so, again, from trying to change the the dialogue and the the discussion uh, within the country, and to have kind of a view to have someone point out and say, "No, that's not right," or I mean, talk about traditional conservative values and bring that back and say that's either not the role of government or let's have an actual legitimate discussion and and probably move away from some of the cultural battles, right, and actually to good good policy. Um, And so that's why I think if he, when he thought about running, not necessarily because he wanted to be president, but just to provide uh, a different viewpoint and to kind of have the platform to call out bad ideas or incorrectness. I mean he talks about that in the article too, right? Just to be like I want to come and say no that's not right. No that's not right and to be on that stage and have yeah. that that platform to to call that out, which quite frankly you saw kind of at the Republican debate, right? For president, you had a couple of people that started sparring, you know, particularly Vice President Pence and and uh, Ambassador Haley to go out and say no that's not that's not right, <laughs> which we you just don't see a, a whole bunch uh in today's political dialogue.
1: Yeah, there's there seems to be a lack of that. Um, Speaking of the Atlantic article that McKay Coppins wrote, he, uh, I think, was, I don't know if he was born, but he was raised in Massachusetts, uh, went to Michigan. Michigan, okay. So they had kind of that in common. Uh, He went to BYU. He's a great writer. If you read... um, Oh, sorry, McKay. McKay. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know where he was raised, but... Um, But he's a great writer, but I was a little surprised, first of all, that that's who Senator Romney chose to write uh, his biography only because... When you look at The Atlantic, if you look on a media bias chart, there's some that are centrist, there's some that lean left, and then there's some that are really left. And I think if you look at The Atlantic, most of those media bias things would put them in the far left column. And so he's obviously a great writer, but he chose someone who was not only not a Republican, but not even very centrist. Yeah, I
0: think um, McKay covered the senator during the presidential And so I think there's uh, more of a relationship and a camaraderie Mm. there more so. And I think someone who, again, is, you know, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints can kind of get some of that. And so I don't think it was necessarily um, viewed as any sort of political skew, but just someone who can understand and... um, Had been along for the ride for a while. Yeah, that they've had for a while that's been along there, right? It's... you have to, you know, less to to bring up and it'll be interesting to see what the rest of the book holds. Um, I'm sure, you know, covers quite a bit of the presidential as well. And so I think someone just that's been along
1: and, and, um, kind of has known him for a while makes it easier to talk. So did you know that for the last couple of years that Senator Romney had been doing this and sitting down with him on a regular basis for this biography? I did. It did. There were a few of the senior team just because we saw the
0: calendar yeah. and we you know, knew how some of the scheduling worked. So. And what he was up to in the evenings. Yeah.
1: Um, were you surprised when you read the snippet? That it was a fairly large chunk that he released, but did any of it surprise you, or were this all the inner workings that you know inside the office?
0: Um, I mean, it was like deja vu because I was there for all of that. Uh, and so it was interesting to read it and uh, go back and, and remember. And um, very much some very um, – Formable, historic things. I mean, I you know, it's it's interesting to, again, go and read those things and to think back of what we went through as a team for the first four years and everything that had happened for, for again, the first four
1: years of, of his, uh, his one term. So, anyway, it was pretty interesting. Did you feel like it was an accurate description? I always worry when I work on stories because you want to give people – the best version of their story, but you're obviously sitting down. Sometimes we'll do hours of interviews, and it ends up being a 90-second story on the news. So obviously you can't let them say everything, but you want to convey what they meant, how they felt. And I always want to go home afterwards and, like, call them and say, you know, did that make sense? Did that feel like the right version of your story? So when you read this, did it feel like what you felt or went through? Were you like, ah, that's a weird kind of skewed way to write it? No,
0: it did, and I think um, the one thing that I really appreciate is I think – People, Well, I don't think I know that people thought that um, Senator Romney had his opinion already decided, particularly on impeachment. Um, and I love the fact that it showed the true wrestle that he had. Um, and that's the thing that people don't quite understand is, is Mitt is very pragmatic, very realistic. He takes his, his oath and his responsibilities very seriously. Um, and so, particularly on the impeachment side, the back and forth and the wrestle that he had is is 100% true. Um the stress, the the sleepless nights. I mean, I'm, I would, you know, obviously wish we wouldn't have ever gone through something like that, right? I think everyone uh, wishes that one, where they regardless of where you fall on the issue. Um, but I consider myself very uh, lucky and blessed to have seen that and seen the process and and to have been um, a part of that, particularly from a man that um, I know took it completely serious. And, and McKay talks about it a little bit in there, but we. Um, man I showed the same faith and so to see someone in that level go through and find answers the way that I believe we'd find answers from God was very um faith building and and just kind of regardless of how I felt about the decision one way or the other right I mean it doesn't doesn't matter but to see him go about that process was uh was very faith building and and I consider one of the great honors of my life
1: it seemed like there was a mixed emotions in the office, too, because one of the stories that was related is that when he came in and told the office uh, how he was going to vote, I think he said that one of the staffers put you know their hands over their face and kind of left him there for the rest of the meeting, probably upset or frustrated in some way that that was the decision. So uh, there was obviously differing views inside the office and still are, I would assume.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's hard, and I don't think there was necessarily, um, I mean, we all, we, you know, counseled together and went through and did the research and figured that out, and I don't think there was necessarily, I mean, there might have been a, a different of opinion, but I think it was more of the, the gravity of, okay, what does this mean, right? And now I'm, are we going to
1: have any friends to sit at at lunch now? Yeah,
0: right, yeah. like, what does it mean for our constituents in Utah? What does it mean for us, our ability to get stuff done? What does it mean? And he talked about it for his safety and for the safety of his family, um, and so I think that was more of, the, it's just the gravity. Um, and then watching him give his his speech, something that he poured over um, and wanted to make sure that he got the tone right and the message right so that he, people knew it was just him and he wasn't casting dispersions on others, particularly others of faith that might have come to a different conclusion than him. Um, and so I think that was, it was more of not necessarily a, I mean, and he talks about it, right? The easy answer would have been, to, to vote opposite of the way he did, um, and so I think that was just that being in the middle of it, now, you know, a couple of years removed, and the world didn't end, but I think at the time, for, for those that were kind of in the middle of it, it was truly, okay, what does this mean, what does tomorrow look like, right, I mean, we did that, and then jumped on a plane, and flew out here to come talk to, you know, the legislature was in session at the same time, right, and, and so trying to um, to figure out, okay, what does this mean, and can we get anything done, I mean, that was what, did a it make things half? harder? Um, it did, I think. And, and I think um, just to try and overcome that, right, to then go and say, okay, again, and try and differentiate it. I mean, it's hard because that to, it's something that was rare, right, and should be rare and unfortunately becoming less rare. But to have people understand what it actually meant, that he took a separate oath of office as a jur- member of the jury, as a, a senator, not to represent his constituents – but to be there in the room as he saw it. And so to try and explain, I mean, you say in politics, if you're explaining, you're losing, right? But to try and help people understand that so that it wasn't, he didn't care what anyone else thought, right? I mean, we counseled and We gave advice and he wanted to see how we view things, but ultimately it was his decision. And he truly took that. Oh, seriously, that that was an oath before God. And, you know, that he felt that one day he'd have to answer for that and say that he felt like he had made the decision to the best of his, his ability with the um, information he had. And so um, it made it difficult for a while. It made it difficult for, our, you know, us in Utah, we were, uh, I think, unwelcome in some cases, right? And people took it out. How uh, well, was Thanksgiving? your house? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's hard. It was hard for, for, again, for our members, for our family, right? But again, we always had to remember too, like his family and, and him are dealing with different situations and, I mean the the saddest thing for me um that you pull from that which I mean I saw internally but that I think we need to think about is particularly as Utahns but broader as a country is how is it that we have elected officials that can't make what they view as the best decision and good with their conscience because they feel for their sa- they worry for their safety right for for their safety and for the safety of their family I mean that's not that's never how it should be in the United States of America is that's not how we we do things and so but that was a very real situation that we dealt with for a very very long time after that um and so anyway it was but that's I think the bigger thing was just as a staff we just definitely felt okay what does this mean in our ability to get get things done for a very early um very young in our our you know term and our our time in DC.
1: He has more than a year left still to go is it going to make it more difficult with this book, the biography, coming out, or will make it easier? Because I was reading some things that seem somewhat contradictory. I think it was just last week after Mitch McConnell had had another episode of whatever's happening to him where for about 20 or 30 seconds he just kind of goes a little blank. And so there's concern that he's getting too old or maybe uh, his health isn't quite there. Uh, Senator Romney came out and said that he still completely supported him and I think said something to the effect of, you know, the other – every second of the day he's fine so if it's just 20 seconds you know we can move on so it sounded like he gave him his full support for going back and leading the senate but at the same time when you read that article in the atlantic by Compens, it sounded like he wasn't thrilled with mcconnell all the time and was saying things that maybe showed that he didn't really think he was being the best leader so i thought that was a little interesting yeah, I mean, I think they
0: have a fantastic relationship, and I think the ability to, to speak frankly with each other is part of that, um, and just shows the the strength of um, Senator and, and Senator McConnell's ability to get stuff done. When Senator McConnell and, and Secretary Chow were out here for the Hatch Foundation uh, event, Senator McConnell gave a full-throat endorsement of Senator Romney and said that he got stuff done and was trying to give him a pitch to, to run again, right, and say we, we need him back in D.C., and And so I think... um, And that was just a few weeks ago. Yeah, so I think there's some disagreements, obviously. um, But people make... And that's kind of uh, what a lot of the articles post uh, Senator Romney's announcement has been about, right? Is, okay, how do people really feel? And then they make decisions based on what they view as important for the outside um, or for what helps them get things accomplished. But yeah, Senator Romney and Senator McConnell have a great relationship. They're able to talk very frankly with each other and, and they worked
1: well together. He obviously, like we said, is not done. People are talking like this is sort of his funeral and he's dead, but he has a ways to go all the way into early 2025. What is still on his list of things that you knew when you were in the office that you were trying to accomplish as a team that you think he'll still try to make happen in the next year that we can all be watching for? I
0: think a few things is uh, the Trust Act uh, is a big one, which it's funny, you hear everyone talk about the debt and the deficit, Mm -hmm. but very few have a legitimate plan to actually get it done. Um, no one understands that two-thirds of our federal spending is based on entitlements. And so the third that they'll probably shut the government down in a couple weeks about doesn't – a six, uh, half of that, so one-sixth is, is defense spending, and one-sixth of that is what we argue about every year. And so – it's funny, you could zero that out and but it wouldn't and make any so many Security difference. it's Medicare is. and Medicaid
1: that and really make that big difference. And I think there's a lot of people who are wondering, you know, is it solvent? Are we going to have money? But he does have a plan for that.
0: Yeah, and so I think that's one that he will really, really try to push uh, and put on there. And the funny thing is the plan, the Trust Act doesn't even give a uh, recommendation of how to fix it. It just says, okay, let's put some committees together and get serious about how to fix it. Um, and so that's kind of uh, one that I think he will push for sure. I think one that's kind of gone by the wayside um, is the Family Security Act. And you see a lot of discussion about the um, lower marriage rates and lower birth rates and, and encouraging and poverty levels. And so the Family Security Act uh, changes the child care tax credit and gives monthly uh, checks to people instead of one at the end of the year with their taxes. And so I would assume that he'd push for that, just because those are some of the um, pieces of legislation that have received a lot of um, traction and I think are, are well thought out, good policy. Um, China's a big deal of his, and so I'm sure you'll see uh, him want to kind of do some, some last-minute things to have us on good footing with China, and then obviously the Great Salt Lake is a good big Utah priority, and, and I'm sure there's a handful of other things there as well. Just, again, having not been there for five months and just knowing him in the office, those are, I think, the the big priorities for him.
1: Uh, are there any regrets or things that you look back on and I think, well, that didn't go well, or that wasn't what was planned while you were in his office? Um, Nothing big that sticks out, quite honestly. Um he,
0: he's a fantastic leader and wants things to go well, and so he taught us to, to pay attention to details, and again, ask questions internally, right, and, and know the answers to things before they happen, and figure it out, and so I think it's, um, I mean, if there's one thing I wish would be different, I just, I wish people would be able to know how much he actually got accomplished. When you look at his accomplishments list, he was involved in all of the big priorities, um, and good things, and well bringing bring good things to Utah, and stopping bad things, uh, no one sees where Paul, where um, proposals were originally, right, particularly about the infrastructure bill. We talk about how big it originally was. I think the president wanted, like, five trillion dollars or something, right, and we got it down to, to only 600 million above what, um, or 600 billion above what the, the baseline was, and so I just, that's one thing I wish um, people pay attention to or would know is how much he actually got done, not only on a national scale, but but for Utah. Utah priorities, like, one thing that happened right at the very beginning was um, the, I can think it's the Dingle. The Dingle Lands Bill or something we just call it Lands Bill. Uh, Emory County is a part of that and um the expansion of Goblin Valley, uh by a number of I can't remember exactly the amount of acres, twelve hundred acres or something like that, was a massive amount of federal land, B L M that is now under state control, um, with the expansion of Goblin Valley State Park. There were a number of, of um land that was turned over to, to cities and counties, particularly um in uh Uintin County for their water source. Um up on the uh, Ashley National Forest, and getting the Navajo Water, Utah Navajo Water Trust Fund, um, or a settlement finalized and and funded. Anyway, there's just so many things that that don't um, hit the news. And um, the one thing that I think is sad for the state of Utah is whenever anyone wanted something, and they might have not necessarily been a f- fan of Mitt personally, but they came to to our office and came to him because they knew that he had standing and he would be able to make calls and have conversations and, and get stuff done. Um, and I think he's done that for Air Force Base, for the way Proving Ground, And there's no corner of the state, in my opinion, um, that it has not had a handle in, in providing some sort of benefit to, to the citizens of Utah.
1: I think his runs for president probably gave him the platform that he could do that because people knew who he was and gave him a little gravitas because he obviously went in as a junior senator. He remains the junior senator, Uh, but he had name ID in the Senate that not a lot of others have. We were talking about this before we started, but in the Senate, how long you've been there matters.
0: Yeah, seniority really matters. And I think even though he wasn't um, a chairman of a of a major of a major committee but especially because he'd campaigned with a good number of those senators when he ran for president um, and he's campaigned with them since to help raise money and and knew them all on a personal level and so to your point exactly he didn't need to go introduce himself to a lot of people uh, he already knew who they were and and they knew who he was and so and I think that showed his his um, wanting to be serious he went and sat down with with all 100 members uh, of the senate to say how can we work together and and that's the thing too is we say, you know, oftentimes these days, compromises viewed as a bad word, but our, the way our government is organized, we're based on compromises, right? You have the New Jersey compromise and Virginia compromise, which is the way it is, and, and not compromise in, you know, compromising or, or changing the way you view about things, but, you know, sit down at a table and say, okay, we want to both get to yes, right? How do we give and take, and how do we get to that point? And his ability and his willingness to talk, not that he always ended up where, on a yes or even on the other side, but his ability to, to want to talk and be willingness to sit down with anyone, I think put him in rooms and had members reach out to him and view him seriously as a potential partner to, to try and change things. And that's a great, um, skill that he has. And, and so will I mean, regardless of whoever takes his place, I think it'll be, um, a loss and, um, Something that the state will, you know, we'll, we'll overcome it. We've been there before. But I really think that he um, had a unique perspective to go in and, and work with friends and people that he's known for a number of years.
1: I think the art of negotiation seems to be lost when you look back to Senator Hatch, some of the early years mm-hmm. with Kennedy. I think, you know, those negotiations were really what kind of made a name for him. But I think that for Senator Romney, it also gave him, you know, the memes that he was a rhino or a Democrat. Do you think that voters, because I think some voters feel like they got a bit of a bait-and-switch with him. Do you feel like it was a bait-and-switch, or do you feel like people understood him wrong? Was he more leaning more to the left than as he ran, than what he actually ran as? Oh, I don't think so at all. Um,
0: I think if you read his book, No Apology, that he put out during the presidential campaign, he's the exact same on the issues, and he would keep pushing the, the exact same things. I think um, sometimes his willingness to, to talk about policy and never letting perfect be the enemy of good Um, and trying to say, okay, it might not be great, but it's better than what we've got, Um, put him in a good spot. And I think the hard part is, is people view things very differently. Um, Like one thing, for example, was uh, on, you know, Massachusetts and Romney care, right? And in his view, it was not repeal and replace Obamacare, just repeal, because he feels that states are in the best place to do their own health insurance and how they want to put that out. I mean, the feds can put, you know, basic parameters of who needs to be covered, but Utah will do something different than Texas, and Texas will do something different than Vermont, and Romney care in Massachusetts was never intended to be nationwide. And so if you, if he's, um, comes in, in his position and says, you know, sure. I'd supported something in Massachusetts because that's what the people of Massachusetts wanted, but I would never push that for the people of Utah. Um, and so I think that was hard. The flip other side of that too, is we, I think don't give much ability for people to change their mind because you are viewed as a flip-flopper. It's like, okay, 20 years ago I might have felt something, but I've learned something different, and now I feel a different way. Why on earth would you ever have a discussion or a debate with someone if you're just going to stay entrenched in your own positions, which you don't see a lot these days, right, of, of discussion to actually say, okay, you might actually change my mind on that. It's always to, to try and get your point across and not to, to um, actually maybe change your view. And so I think sometimes you got pegged as a flip-flopper, not for... You know, just because people expect you to have the same position where he said, nope, I actually learned something different. I'm in a different position now in a different role, and so it's a little bit of a different viewpoint.
1: What do you think his role will be in a year when he's finished? Because in that article, going back to the Atlantic article, I was interested to see that he said that all five of his sons had left the GOP. So uh, that means if you're living here in the state of Utah, that you can't be voting in those primary elections because whether you chose to go to another party or not, if you're an independent, you can't be a part of that. Do you see him doing the same and leaving the GOP behind? Or do you think that he'll still endorse candidates or work with the party?
0: When it comes to endorsements, he says they're not worth a thumble of warm spit. Uh, in most cases, not that he doesn't do them, um, but I think, and he said in the article too, or in one of the articles, that he has stayed a member of the GOP because he wants to bring it back to where he thinks the GOP should be, um, and in conservatism as as he thinks it is traditionally, and you know, more Reagan uh, era uh, conservatism. And so I think he wants to go out and change change minds, change, uh, have discussions, put it out there. I think he's a fantastic speaker. Um, and so I would love to see him to do a speaking stir- circuit, right? Maybe to potentially to, to college kids and, and kind of those, um, more impressionable minds that are trying to understand how the world works, particularly in an era of y- the younger generation having a poor opinion of democracy or of capitalism or of character and have him go speak on those things. I mean, he is a fantastic speaker and again, um, talking about the, the, um, virtues of democracy and again, capitalism, some of those things. And so I think I would love to have him go do that and, and, uh, try and change that way, but he will be involved regardless. Um, I know it's been mentioned potentially having him play a role at the, you know, Olympics coming again is, you know, i I could see something happening there. I mean, he will be involved regardless and I would assume that he would not go away. He might, Write a column, he might teach a class. I mean he will not he's not riding off into the sunset or sitting on a beach or playing golf when he hates golf. Um but uh but he is not a man that can sit idly. Uh and so I think he will continue to, to provide benefit and hopefully put um some good ideas and keeping the uh intellectual um conversations going.
1: I've kept you far too long. Is there anything you're dying to tell us, like some great secret from the office we should all know about? The Romney office if there were a, a comedy on TV? Just that he is very funny. He
0: loves jokes, um, like dad jokes. He loves dad jokes. Uh, he loves memes. Um, and uh, did he love that he was a meme? Sometimes, yes. I mean, he's very he's very good at self deprecating. He totally understood. He didn't take anything too seriously, which I think shows. Um, obviously, having been in the the public eye for such a long time, um, and being comfortable with who he is. But that's what I would just say. He is so funny. We traveled. Probably thirty thousand miles together on the campaign across Utah in, in twenty eighteen, and and again, and we talked about this a little bit before. But when you came and did the um, the I've been everywhere man video, yep. which is probably one of my favorites, we filmed it in uh, I got to pull in, that up. in Grantsville. Uh, we did a handful of times, and he wrote that he did the words. He did you know kind of it was his idea to do the whole thing. And so, um, I uh, he's hilarious. He truly loves Twinkies.
1: He truly loves hot dogs. He sometimes eats like a 12-year-old boy. Um, that sort of feels like an act, because people look at him and say, you have all the money in the world, you could eat whatever you want. But looking at President Trump, he likes McDonald's, and Romney really sure. does like a Costco hot dog.
0: He, oh, I mean, especially J-Dogs. That is his go-to. So he's got, in Utah, J-Dogs and stacked pancakes up in Logan are his his top two. But And I'll tell you this, people were surprised that um, the truck, the 2002 Chevy that we drove around in on the campaign was truly his. Um, I bought the first new pair of windshield wipers. It was like 20 years old when I was, when we were Richfield, and I bought the new pair of windshield wipers. And and I'll say this too: we stopped uh, one time at the Flying J in Nephi as we were headed south, and the diesel there was like I don't know, 10 cents more than anywhere else along I-15 down to Saint George. And he was so mad that he would not let us stop at that gas station anymore the whole trip because it, or the whole campaign because it was so much more expensive. Like it just it was so funny. He was such a down to earth. Um, like his truck had a cassette player that i had to go buy a um a little plug in yeah for. a little adapter right for my phone and then buy the little dongle and i had to make sure that the best buy in in uh, washington county had it when we were going so we could listen to music like he is um he's quirky he's hilarious um he's just kind of truly what you see and i've learned a great deal from him um he truly is a, a Incredible man of faith. Again, he's not not perfect. I don't think him or his, his wife or his kids would would say that either. But I just I wish we had more people that were truly just who they are. Um, and that's it'll be a, a loss for the city of Utah when he doesn't represent us anymore. Thankfully, we have him for another sixteen
1: months, and I'm excited to see what he does next. Well, who knew? I wouldn't have guessed that he was that funny. I've d- I've interviewed him for years, but I never. I guess I've heard that before, but I. Don't see behind those closed doors. So you think when you see the Babylon Bee article, you know, saying that Democrats are now looking for his replacement, that he laughs at that and is like, okay, he doesn't get mad. Yeah, he
0: doesn't get mad. I mean, some of the funniest things he would send us, right? Some of the funniest articles uh, about him he would, would send and, and take uh, take light of it. But it's funny if <laughs> – I will tell you he uh, – if. uh he, maybe this is too much inside, but if he has a funny line on TV, he has used it on his staff before, and we would have to say whether or not it was legitimately funny or not funny. So, <laughs> And once he finds a good one, he, as a typical dad fashion, uses it multiple he times sticks with, with multiple it. people.
1: So. Excellent. All right. Well, sometimes when I think of him, I think of that old SNL skit uh, from when he was running for president, when they were, you know, drinking milk afterwards. Do you remember that? (laughs) So anyhow, it's good to know that he has a sense of humor. Uh, We will be watching it and seeing what happens, like you said, in the next 16 months. I'm glad you did the math. I'm thinking, how long is that? So, uh, all right. Well, thank you so much for coming in. This is fun talking behind the scenes. Thanks for being here.